This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast mini-series at Ruth's behest. I have dropped favourite as she is talking about memorable <laughs> stuff and I'm talking about favourite stuff. So uh, we've dropped that. It's just football things is our, is our new thing, I think, <laughs> Ruth. Um, we are talking today uh, about our favourite slash most memorable football transfers uh, in, in this podcast. Um, Ruth, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so... I think I've got three for my list. And again, trying not to talk about, about the obvious. Um, turning the clock back again. Um, I think one of those ones as uh, in, when I was younger that was like, what on earth is going on here? It was when Kevin Keegan left Hamburg for, for Southampton. You know, twice European player of the year going to, you know, a reasonably successful team but certainly not the sort of team that he could uh, he could could have gone to there was lots of uh, big name european places vying for him and Lauren McMenemy obviously got something to to work there so that was one of those ones as a kid was probably the first transfer where I was actually kind of conscious of like what's going on here what's you know what's behind behind this um I remember Trevor Francis being the first million-pound player yeah. um, and going <laughs> going to not even that. That was just that was just weird. Uh, just the thought of that, and now looking back, it even, it just seems so strange. Uh, one of the more modern, uh, re- relatively speaking, transfers I think that was perhaps the most striking was um, Drogba going from Marseille to Chelsea. He. Uh, he, I mean, he, his impact on the Premiership was incredible. But at the time, of course, he was a relatively unknown striker. He certainly hadn't been lighting things up across Europe. He was already, I think, 26, 27 when he moved. Um, and you look at the, the impact he had on that, that Chelsea team. That was, that was incredible. Um, but I've got... Uh, I have a favourite transfer story. A favourite? Oh, this is lovely stuff. Favourite, having having asked you to drop the moniker there, because I don't think that the football landscape as we know it now would actually be be the same without this particular transfer, and so that's why I think it's so important. So I'm going to really wind the clock clock back and go all the way to the mid-50s and um, Alfredo Di Stefano's transfer to Real Madrid because the shenanigans of that are are actually interesting in in themselves. And then I honestly don't think that there would be a Real Madrid now in the way that we think of them if this particular transfer hadn't happened. Um, So obviously he was having an impact in, in South American football. He was playing for uh, millionaires in in Colombia at, at the time um, when the transfer happened, and he was he was already 27 when he moved when he moved to Madrid. So he wasn't a you know a young man moving at all. He'd scored um, something like 50 goals in 66 games with River Plate, and then went to 
millionaires in Colombia and scored 90-odd in 100-odd games. I mean, his proficiency was incredible. So, obviously, people started to notice this in Europe. And Barcelona um, approached River Plate because technically he was still their player. So right. he must have been on a sort of loan system in Colombia. I don't quite understand the, the deal. And so Barcelona thought that they had an agreement with River Plate for the player. And then basically the papers weren't signed quickly enough. And Bernabeu, being the shrewd character that he jumped in Real Madrid, started to deal with Millonarios directly in Colombia. And so you had this to and fro in and, and nothing nothing going on, nothing progressing really. So in the end, the Spanish FA had to step in and they came up with a ludicrous scenario when you think about it. They basically said, okay, he can play two years for Barca and then he can play two years for Real Madrid. That's how we'll sort it out. I mean, can you imagine that being thought (laughs) of as the right solution these days? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, he actually started with Real Madrid. So somehow they won like the bidding rights, I suppose, or something and had him for the first two years. And he didn't start that well. And in the end, within the first few months, Real bought out Barca's two years. So having battled for him and then got their two years, Barcelona actually sold that right to Real Madrid. And of course, I mean... Everything that everything that is Real Madrid grew from that yeah. that period. You know, five successive European Cups. He scored in every one of them. You know, the the whole idea of a Clasico rivalry between Barcelona and Real Madrid stems from this dynamic with with Stefano. Yeah. You just you. I don't think we can underestimate the impact that he had on the culture and and the the uh, the sort of football royalty that Real Madrid are now he was the driving force there yeah. um and and so for me this this always stands out as the transfer the transfer that changed football because it created a powerhouse from from a team that actually had always been in Atletico's shadow up until up until that point. Yeah. No, it's interesting, and you forget, I suppose, how how these things can change depending on the circumstances. And um, and I had no idea that of that story with the 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 kind of interference, if you like, from Barca. Like they just wouldn't happen this today. It's uh, it's nuts, really. Um, for me, there's I, I, there's two for me that I've I've kind of stuck out. One of which is just kind of like an interesting sign of the times and the other one is just a memory I have as a football fan and that is obviously um, Super Alan Shearer signing for Newcastle. Um, 15 million, a world record fee at the time. And I remember I'd been on holiday with my parents and we were on the ferry coming back uh, from our holiday and I had my Newcastle shirt on and some lad came up to me. I was just like, oh great news and I was just like oh thank, thanks mate because this was before you had phones and the internet and all this other stuff and uh, I was like what do you mean and he was just like oh you've signed Shearer I was just like do me a favour 
and um, and, I was, and you kind of all of a sudden you you know because again you've been away from British newspapers and everything else you kind of go into the shop on the ferry and it's just like oh my god we've signed Alan Shearer and I can remember that <laughs> and and all the stuff that went around it and that was obviously when we were trying to we got so close to winning the league the year before and we started that that season that he played not great but then we beat Man United five nil um, and it felt like okay, we haven't won the title, but we're still riding this wave of momentum. And as much as anything else, it was the fact that he turned down Man United to come and sign for us. And it was the thing of, he was, you know, the local local hero coming home and everything else that goes along with it. And I, I admire Alan Shearer so much, not just for what he did at a football pitch, but the fact that he wanted to be that hometown hero. He wanted to come and play for his hometown club. And I know he could have won more if he'd gone to play for, for Man United or whoever, but he didn't. He chose to come to Newcastle. And, and I know it's a, a world record and everything else, but it, it, as, a, as a Newcastle fan, that meant something to me. We'd kind of hit the big time. Um, and uh, it was it was an amazing time to be a Newcastle fan, uh, less so these days. Um, the, the last one for me is Angolo um, Kante. I, I think in a world where players are bought and sold for just obscene sums of money, hundreds of millions of pounds or euros or dollars or whatever, you know, there's still a lot of room out there for the sort of player who can be bought for a relative pittance and, you know, and, and come on and, and do a lot. And you think N'Golo Kante was playing for Cannes in the second division and then League um No one fancied him. No one, you know, I'm sure people knew of him, but he went from being a second division player to being a a Premier League winner to a World Cup winner in the space of about four years, maybe even less, um, which is a remarkable achievement. He signed for Leicester City in 2015 for 5.6 million. And by, well, by the summer of 2018, he's won the World Cup with France. And it is just an unbelievable rise and I, and I do think similar to how Makaleli had a role named after him uh, in in footballing parlance I think Kante is, is going to be relatively similar in that sense because the the role he plays of breaking up football it has changed the, what people look for in a, in, a, in a midfielder I think in, in British football certainly but anyway his rise and that you know very much under the radar transfer fee and he's gone in three years from being a League Two player to a to a World Cup winner for 5.6 million. I think it's a fantastic story. Ruth is nodding along. Thumbs up. There we are, <laughs> ladies and gents. We're done for another day. <laughs> um, so we will leave that there. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you want to tell us your fa- most famous, favourite, memorable uh, football transfers, please do. And we will be back with another podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.